We'll commence reading in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's all hear the Lord's word. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We'll end our reading in verse 14, asking God to bless it for his name's sake. Let's bow our head for a moment, please, in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father, before we do begin to preach and listen to the preaching. We're careful to ask for the gracious ministry of the Spirit of God to prepare us all for this time in thy word. Take away the tiredness of mind and body. Take away the distracting thoughts. Thou hast this power, Lord, to shut us in with thyself. And we pray in thy Son's name that thou wilt do that. Make this a means of sanctifying thy people this night. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. As I said on the Lord's Day, my text is taken from verse 14. I will just take, well, he says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We're just going to take those words, follow holiness. And the theme that I'm 
going to be dealing with over the next four meetings from that little phrase is the Christian's pursuit of holiness. The Christian's pursuit of holiness. The great interest of every Christian. The great concern that must, it must permeate every area of his life is that of following holiness. Without which, you're not going to see the Lord. It's a must. In Ephesians 1.4, Paul states that the reason that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, the whole reason for the election of his people was so that, here's the purpose, we should be holy and without blame. The word means literally blemish. Holy and without blemish before him in love. He goes on to say in chapter 5 of that book that the church gave himself for it, Christ did, in order that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that it should be holy and without blemish. There you go again. Holy and without blemish. Same phrase. Paul echoes this truth in Romans chapter 8 when he states in verse chapter and chapter 8 verse 29 that all of God's people have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. It's very true that predestination secures our place in heaven, no denying that at all, by this eternal unchangeable decree of God, but Paul says in Romans 8 that God has predestined us to be conformed. That means literally to have the same form or the same image as his son, Jesus Christ. He has, well, it's a good thing to know, we have been predestinated to be holy. If we hadn't been predestined to be in heaven, we wouldn't be in heaven. If it was left up to our wills to get into heaven, we would not be in heaven. We have to be predestinated by the grace of God to have a place in glory. Equally true, we would not be holy in life if we had not been predestinated by God to be holy and without blame before him in love. What did the father of Zechariah say in Luke chapter 1 verse 75 when he spoke of the reason that God had finally sent Christ into the world that that's the word of purpose in order that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So I say again that the Christian's great interest in life must be above any and every other interest this pursuit of holiness. But you all know that. It's not the first time you've heard this. I'm not telling you anything new. So the question has got to be, so what? So what are you going to tell me that I don't already know about holiness that I haven't already heard? Well, as you remember on Sunday morning, we have this need of being continually reminded of the things that we think we know. 
And I say think we know because here's a big problem that you and I have as Christians. It's, 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 it's age old. It's in the church. The trouble that plagues the people of God in this area about holiness being the big pursuit in life is that they make, Christians make, seeking happiness their great pursuit in life. Now, they might not be so blunt and honest as to say that, but when you begin to analyze what really is motivating and all the things that they do and their thinking, it comes down to, I'm really living to be happy, not to be holy. I hold this, it's, it's okay, I, I want to be, but what I'm really pursuing in life, day in and day out, is my happiness, my personal comfort, my personal joys. I just want to be happy, and I don't want to be sad, and if I have to take all kinds of medications to avoid being sad and depressed, pour them on. What does I tell you? The pursuit is about Happiness. Not holiness. But you see, that's what the lost do. The lost are in this mad pursuit, trying to find happiness in this world. Of course, the very things that they are looking to bring happiness into their lives ends up bringing misery. Whatever pleasure there may be in sin, it's only for a season. Only a season, because it always ends in misery, not happiness. But the strange thing is that even Christians can be found looking for happiness in all the wrong places. But whenever the child of God begins to earnestly follow after holiness, he finds out that happiness is part of the package. He wasn't looking for happiness, he was looking for holiness and discovers that happiness comes with that. The fact of the matter is that the gospel declares most dogmatically that anyone and everyone who is saved has been irreversibly blessed by God. Irreversibly. It cannot be undone. Nothing you can do, nothing the devil can do, nothing the world can do can ever undo the fact that you are blessed by God. Christians have been delivered forever from eternal damnation in the lake of fire. If I had nothing else in life, I'm happy about that. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to be amongst those who are screaming and screaming and screaming in agony burning continually in utter blackness and darkness, shut out forever from the presence of God. That will not be my destiny. And I am very happy about that. You'd think that'd be enough. We had a disease that no man could cure. But God sent his only begotten son with the remedy For that sin disease and that was his death on the cross and the shedding of his atoning blood. The only remedy for the blackness of our sin. The only answer. And when the sinner comes to Christ as you did one day. 
to heal your sin-sick soul, you are cured instantly. You are justified and you're adopted and placed in the family of God. How blessed every Christian is. But even though Christ's people have been blessed with, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus, they still find themselves wondering, why don't I enjoy more of this blessedness that that man's up there talking about tonight? Why don't I have more of this heavenly happiness here on earth? The real issue beating at the heart of their dilemma is this ongoing problem we have with sin. Sin is misery. Sin and unhappiness walk hand in hand. That's the issue. Because all of us have this lingering, and we'll talk more about this, Lord willing, on the Lord's Day, but all of us have this lingering sin principle in our souls. We have this law. It's a law that's in all of us. We also have this flesh, and this flesh is contrary to God's will. It continually battles against God's will. It'll never go away until you die and are glorified. It wants its way. And it is not happy when it does not get its way. And it will fight you tooth and nail every day of your life to try and get its way. It wants to be satisfied. Your lusts, your desires want to be satisfied. And I'm not referring to simply immoral lusts. There's all kinds of lusts that are illegal. And it makes the heart of the child of God miserable. How do I deal with the sin? That's the problem. That's what's getting in the way. So while we have indeed been predestined to holiness, it's also true that we have a solemn responsibility to follow holiness. To deal with sin. You want to be happy. I do too. I can't, I can't take up that issue without taking up how do I deal with my sin that makes me unhappy. The word follow in our text, follow, first of course it's peace, but it's also for follow holiness. It means to pursue literally to pursue, or to seek earnestly something. Someone's pursuing a law degree. What are they saying? Well, I'm, I'm engaging myself in all the classes and courses involved in getting a law degree. Somebody's pursuing a wife or a husband. You know what that means. They're engaging all their energies because they want that object before them. They're pursuing it, eagerly pursuing it. It is a very essential pursuit because pursuing holiness is really, as we've already seen, the very essence of the Christian life. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
the, the essence of the Christian life is what? I want to be like Jesus. We all say it and we pray it. But I just don't know that we really are grasping what that means when you say, I want to be like Christ. Whatever it takes. Whatever it means. Whatever sacrifice. Whatever selflessness. Whatever self-denial. Whatever battle. Whatever fight. Whatever I have to do. I want to be like Him. That's quite different than a half-hearted pursuit where you kind of try to put one foot in the world and one foot in the church and somehow walk through life happy. It's just not going to happen. It must be an endless pursuit. The work that God began to change us into that image of the Savior, He will carry on until the Lord comes back for His people He won't quit. We quit a thousand times over, but the Lord never quits a work he's begun. He just does not quit. And so our pursuit of holiness must go on and on and on and day in and day out. And so what what I want to begin with this evening, I I won't get beyond this. I, I want to speak about the path to holiness, but it's going to be from a negative aspect just now, at least for tonight. The path to holiness. Aside from the truth that holiness will be pursued by those who are truly the Lord's people, I can think of no one truth that needs to be clearly and constantly put before the body of Christ in this day and age more than this one. I'm talking about now the way that you and I pursue and, and, and not just pursue, but the path we go down in order to obtain personal purity. The, the path that we go down so that more and more, little by little, as our confession states, we die unto sin and we live unto righteousness. More and more, we actually think like and talk like and behave like and respond like the Lord Jesus Christ. Transformation, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Transformed into that image. That's what I want to, this path that we are to go down. Holiness is absolutely essential to our happiness. Our enjoyment, to our experience of and our usefulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our chief end in life, you know it well, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him. To enjoy the Lord. A lot of things you enjoy in life. You, know, you, you enjoy your kids or your grandkids for a season. You enjoy the sun when it's, well, here, I'm, I'm in Arizona. When you've seen nothing but rain for days and days, you really enjoy the sun when it comes out. It feels so good. You enjoy that. It's, it's, it's delightsome. But you see, on a much different and higher level, there's this enjoyment of the Lord. Enjoyment of Christ. And that's tied in His Word to holiness. As much as you and I may want to be 
an instrument in the hand of God to be used in the lives of the saved and of the lost, however deep that desire runs, we must realize that our usefulness in doing that is directly tied to holiness of life in Scripture. Fruitfulness, which is another word for holiness. Fruitfulness equals usefulness. A barren fruit tree isn't very much of a benefit to anybody. But you know that when you go to an orange tree or an apple tree or a peach tree or a pear tree and there's abounding in fruit, well, there's plenty of usefulness from that tree. Plenty of benefit to be had by any who will come and take from it. So it is with us as believers. The more fruitfulness we have in life, the more we bear, by God's grace, the fruit of the Spirit, the more useful we become. Fruitfulness is usefulness. Fruitfulness, holiness, is usefulness. So Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, these unclean vessels... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or fit for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Purging yourself from the unclean, you become fit, prepared for the master's work, unto every good work. That's usefulness, folks. And he's tying holiness to usefulness. I believe there's many a believer that is living in utter defeat over their lack of spiritual progress because they've been misinformed about how to go about pursuing holiness. Therefore, before getting into the positive elements on this path to holiness, I want to set down a few things about what is not a part to this path of holiness. What the path to holiness is not. What it's not about. No matter what you hear. It's not about these things I'm about to set down. First off. God's method for us to obtain holiness. Is not through the law of God. It is not through the law of God. Oh, be dead on sure that the law of God is still the moral standard by which we are to define holiness. The law is the standard by which we define holiness. Anytime, it's, it's interesting to the responses that you get, but anytime when someone says, I want to be like Jesus, what are you saying? Ask yourself, what are you saying? I want to be like Christ. Well, how did Christ live? I want to live like Christ. Christ lived in perfect obedience to God's law. Perfect Christ-likeness is perfect obedience to God's law. The law sets the standard. The law is that which defines. Never accept, in passing, never accept, reject outright the dispensational notion that the Ten Commandments were something that were Jewish and they have nothing to say to us today. It's utter blasphemy. It's heresy. It's also wrong. The sheer fact of the matter is that the law of God cannot bring you into greater holiness of life. 
It will tell you how you should live. The law of the Lord will show you what is pure and impure, holy and unholy, separate and unseparate from God. Paul states in Romans 7 that by the moral law of God, sin became exceedingly sinful to him. And that's good. But the law had no power to purify his heart. It could only put a a spotlight on what was wrong with him. What was wrong with his living. That's why it's so tragic that so many of God's people are trying to obtain, they're going down this path to obtain more holiness of life by focusing upon the law of God and by the sin that's in their lives with the hope that it will produce a better pursuit of holy living. That, brothers and sisters, is insanity. To actually focus upon the law and your failures and all that's wrong with you, thinking, whether it's subconscious or not, thinking that that's going to make me a better Christian. Working in tandem with that is the approach of many preachers who are constantly preaching repentance to spur God's people to holier living. It never works. I'm not saying that God's law doesn't expose sin in our lives. It needs to be exposed. It does do that. It informs us. It informs us of what pleases and displeases God. Not the opinions of men. Not even my conscience. Because you can't trust your conscience. Your conscience may well be giving a nod to something that's okay, but you'd find out in God's word, it's not okay. And vice versa. That's not what you are and I are to depend upon. It's God's word. It's God's law. That's what defines what pleases God and what doesn't please him. You see, the vast majority of the Lord's people, I am convinced, after 30 plus years, I am convinced that the vast majority of the Lord's people are far more plagued by their sins and their failures than they are plagued with ignorance of their sins and failures. I was back toward the end of November one morning reading Spurgeon's checkbook of faith. He made this statement and it just rang so true with me. He said, Satan seeks out sins wherewith to accuse us. Our enemies seek them that they may lay them to our charge. And our own conscience seeks them even with a morbid eagerness. I said in my heart, that's right. That's right. Continual introspection, looking in and sin and sin and failure. And I, I, I blew it here. I, this is not right about me. This is wrong. And it goes on and that's the focus. And you begin to think that that's actually the way forward. It's an opposite effect. It's an opposite effect. It doesn't produce. It can't. The focus is the law at that point in time. 
as if as if feeling the conviction of the guilt, the consciousness of the sin, somehow that's going to produce holiness and it's not going to produce holiness. It'll give you a sense of guilt and you'll feel bad, Lord, I confess my sins. But I'll tell you one thing, it won't give you power to get over sin. I'll tell you that. It won't give you that ability to get victory over the sin, to change Because holiness, pursuing holiness, is about changing the life, about changing the behavior, about being transformed. And you're only digging yourself deeper when you go down that path of pursuing holiness. Always focusing upon what's wrong with you. Hearing the drumbeat of repentance, repentance, repentance. I'm not despising repentance, not not for a moment. But I'm dealing now with the path to holiness of life. Not all my sighs and prayers of tears can give me this peace with God, nor can it give me purity of heart. The law of God must be taught. It must be expounded. And it must be applied to the daily walk of the Lord's people. Obedience to the Lord's commandments is foundational to any definition of holy living. But bombarding me with what I ought to do and what I ought to be, without stressing how I can be what I ought to be and how I can do what I ought to do, is an exercise in futility. Absolute futility. Yes, show me where my life is not adding up to Christ's likeness. I want to know. If I'm blind to it, tell me, preacher. Bring it out of the Word of God. And that's what part of just expounding the Scriptures does. But don't just leave me saying, well, you've got this and you need to repent of it. How many times have you repented of the same old sin, brother, sister? Tell me. You've gone back again and again and again and again. Was the repentance faulty? No. You were honest. You were sincere with God. You were confessing it. You grieved over it. But that repentance actually didn't bring you further along in this pursuit of purity, did it? It's always the problem you get into when you start focusing upon the law as far as the path that God has set down in his word for sanctification. All the law can do is expose sin. It can clarify what sin is. It can condemn sin. And it can reveal what true holiness actually is. But it cannot produce Holiness of life. It does not work. If such a path is followed, it will produce one of two kinds of Christians. If that's the path a preacher, a church, a denomination, a Christian goes down, it'll produce one of two things. A Christian who is frustrated 
and defeated about holy living? Or Christians who are full of self-righteous pride? In Romans 7, as we're going to see, you find Paul struggling with this very problem. How, how to fight? He got the law. The law became exceedingly sinful. He got all that. But that wasn't his problem after he got saved. It's how to fight this battle with sin and win. The law of God only increased of how far he fell short of its demands. And so he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It is his answer that leads us to the path we have to follow when we want to pursue heart purity. I thank God through Jesus Christ because Christ is the key to holy living. Christ is the key. He was the one to cleanse your heart at salvation and he is still the one to cleanse your heart in sanctification. But I'll say more of that as time goes on. It's not the law. Secondly, holiness must never be thought of merely as an experience, but always as a state or a condition. When Paul said in Romans 8.28 that God's purpose in saving us is to change us, transform us into the image of his Son, therefore holiness is of necessity a matter of our condition, of our state, and not of our experience. Condition, state, versus experience. A condition or a state is steadfast. Experience is change. You've heard Christians say when somebody did something they didn't like, or did something to them, and they got angry, and they didn't act very Christian-like in response, and they said, I lost my sanctification. No such thing. You got in the flesh, you got carnal, but you didn't lose your sanctification. You can't lose a state that God has put you in. You have been brought into a state of holiness, and you can't lose that state of holiness. Holiness is described in these words by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are, present tense, we are his workmanship created unto good works in Christ Jesus. In other words, you and I are something that is being made by God, something that he is fashioning, that he is forming. This is the Almighty. He's doing something. He's doing the changing. He's bringing about the holiness of life. And if that is what our holiness is all about, this workmanship of God, then it's a state of being. A state of being, to use the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's about this condition, about this state we're in, that is growing in grace and in the likeness of Jesus Christ. But growing grace, he says. You're in the state of grace, right? You're in a state of holiness. 
grow in it, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Now, it's obvious when you tell someone to grow in something, there's got to be an ability to measure. How can I tell if something has grown if I don't have any ability to measure? Well, my daughters, when we lived in Orlando, she planted a little garden. And she was so excited about her little garden. And then the little watermelons or the tomatoes or the stream beans would pop out. And every day she would go out and had they grown more. Just get all excited about that. You, know? you could tell after a time that they were growing. You could compare, well, this is what it was when it first started. Now they're like this or it's a watermelon like this and now it's like this. But you had to compare. The fact is, they were in a state right, of growth. It wasn't just a passing experience that could come and go, that you could get and then lose. It was a state. I'm not saying that growth in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ doesn't involve experience or experience as. It does. All kinds of them. There's all kinds of experiences in our pursuit of holiness. Christians do have spiritual experiences which help them and further them along in their pursuit of holiness. At times, at times the Lord will, through a gracious work of the Spirit of God, grant a believer an unusual experience of nearness to God. You really can't explain it. It's, as they say, better felt than telt. He'll give them an unusual experience of love to Christ. Sarah Edwards write this, writes about this in her diary, if you've never read that. But Jonathan Edwards' wife, one night, it was all through the night. It was like wave after wave. She says, wave after wave of the sense of God's love for me just going over her soul. That's an experience. No doubt it had a sanctifying influence in her life. You'll read of these kinds of experiences in the lives of many of God's eminent servants, Whitfield, Edward, Spurge. They will deepen our hatred for sin and they will deepen our love for the Lord. Thank God for those experiences. But as beneficial and as, as blessed as those experiences are they, are, they are not sanctification itself. They're an experience in the state of sanctification or being sanctified, but they're not sanctification itself. They, they'll promote your pursuit of holiness. They'll encourage you. But when God's people begin to confuse experience and state... It opens up this discouragement and defeat regarding the state of their soul. Because they're not having this experience, they think it's something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm not growing because I'm not having these experiences. They're not enjoying them. And then many have actually thought, well, I'm just lost out with God. Or some even, I've lost my sanctification. Well, that's not the case at all. The fact remains, because it is a state, it is a condition, 
the work of God in sanctifying his people goes on. If you were ever, if you could ever plot the growth of holiness in a Christian's life, I mean graph it, you'd have ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs all throughout their life. But you know what the graph would show? You started out here at the bottom and all these ups and downs, but it was keeping on going like this. That's us. A lot of ups and downs. A lot of falls and failures. A lot of sins and backslidings. But you got to believe that when God says, when I begin a work in my people, I finish it. Or he's a liar. It's either truth or he's a liar. And you know he's not a liar. So you can say with absolute confidence... I am growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Has it always been full steam of head? No. Don't, however, get caught up in thinking because of, I got to have more of these experiences, these thrilling, moving experiences. Well, if the Lord gives them, bless, bless the Lord. But that's not the path to go down to grow in holiness. Don't make that mistake. We must also, in the third place, not review sanctification, not view it as something which is received. Quite a few think that you can actually receive sanctification as a gift. Just receive it, it's yours. And that's not just the holiness movement, by the way. It's not just the Pentecostals who think that way. John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. John Newton wrote a poem. He began by saying, I asked the Lord that I might grow in love and faith in every grace, might more in his salvation know and more earnestly seek his face. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Zap. I get zapped. Power of God comes, and now I'm all done, and I've got rest and holiness. Of course, if you know the poem, he goes on to describe it went just the opposite. God began to show him the evil that was in his heart. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? he asked. Tis in this way. The Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. You see, this path to holiness, this matter of sanctification, this work that God does, it's, it's a progressive work. It's not like regeneration. Regeneration is an act, an act of God, solely his act. We have nothing to do with it. God acts, he says, live, and we live. Justification is an act of God. He declares us, you're righteous. It's an act. Not so with sanctification. It's a work. 
that can't be received all at once. If it can be received all at once, then those who teach the doctrine of sinless perfection, they got it right. If you can actually come to an experience where you are wholly sanctified, this side of glory, they have it right if that's the case. But the testimony of Scripture is that this method of being made holy does not happen suddenly. There are no shortcuts to Christ-likeness. I know you really, if you were honest, you'd wish there was. You could go to bed one night and just wake up the next morning and just be so holy, just so loving, just so submissive, just so sweet, oh, so wise, oh, such an evangelist, so powerful. Let's be honest. We'd like a shortcut. The Lord says, no, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a slow, progressive work. We die to sin more and more. Little by little. And we live under righteousness little by little. Please don't misunderstand me that there will be times when God will suddenly cause his work of purification to advance in a believer's life. You take a man who has, well, might have been saved when he was a kid, a teenager, whatever, and he's, no doubt he's converted, but he's kind of lived a humdrum Christian life. You know, he's been there. He's been faithful, attend the church, ties his money, and he's not living outlandish sin, but it's just, there's no fire in his heart. No burden for real prayer and meeting with God. No growing hunger for his word. Humdrum. Mediocre. And then the Lord just does something. It's not he was, he might have been in a church service and heard something and it just struck him like a bolt of lightning. It might have been as he was reading his Bible, there's some verse stood out and he felt the Spirit of God convict him. It's like, David, you're the man. It might be that way. But it might be this, this growing, gradual awareness. There's a whole lot more to the Christian life that I'm enjoying. And then he begins to seek the Lord. And then the prayer life begins to change. And then the understanding and, and, and love for the Word of God begins to grow. And he's a changed man. Yeah, the Lord does do that. He does. I, I've never forgotten the statement made by one of the ministers in the north of Ireland when the the Lord visited that country with revival. He said revival came to his church. And he said the spiritual understanding 
of the members of his church grew more in six months than they had in 20 years under his ministry. That's a wonderful thing. The Lord does that. That's revival. But those times, folks, are rare. That's not the norm. The norm is God just day in and day out carrying on this work of sanctification. Tonight is a little step in your life and in mine. Don't you know this is a means of grace, the preaching of God's word? What is it about? It's about God sanctifying his people through their truth, his truth. It's about the Lord bringing things before you that will enable you to change. Something that's just said off the cuff by the preacher, it just catches your eye. You begin to think about it, and the Lord begins to deal with you. But it's just a little step. It's just one part of the whole thing that God is using to change us into the image of his Son. I don't know you, but that's how I'm viewing it. That's why I'm here. The Lord knows we all need changing. As the old Baptist preacher says, can I hear an amen? That's, I'm not actually asking that, but you all know we need to change. From the inside out. Praise the Lord, he's doing that. May not be at the rate we would like. But I'll tell you one thing, God doesn't lie. And since the day he saved you, he's been working in you. Ups and downs, ins and outs, all that, yes. But it's still going forward. Don't go down the wrong path. Fourth and finally, we must never think of going down the path of holiness without a fight or a struggle. As much as I glory in the truth that God is working in his people, we are the ones who have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That working out our own salvation is about working out. It's the pursuit of holiness. That's what that is about, in fear and trembling. Why is it that every time we are stirred up to pursue holiness with greater zeal, why is it every time that We say to ourselves, things are going to be different now. That we're going to deal with the idols in our home, sin in our hearts. But that we find an increased resistance at every quarter. Every time we set ourselves, things are going to change. I'm going to be more consistent in prayer and I'm going to get more into my Bible. I'm going to begin to witness to people. I'm going to begin to be more submissive to my husband, or I'm going to be more loving to my wife, whatever the XYZs are. Every time you start to do that, to go down that path, you find resistance every time. The resistance is telling you, I have got to fight, I am in a battle, I have got to resist the devil. I have got to deny my flesh. I must.
we need to all understand something. This, this, this path, and that's, if you put this whole thing in the context of the book of Hebrews, they were going down a rough road in life. Persecution like you and I can't begin to imagine. And Paul is telling them, you've got to pursue holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. You see the road that you're on for this holiness? It's not an easy road. It requires diligence and, and striving, striving and, and mortifying our bodies. Oh, we don't want to hear that, mortify. We'll talk more about that. Mortifying our bodies, our flesh. Fighting the fight, putting on the armor. God never said it would be easy. It's not. But God said he would never leave us to go it alone. And that's all I need to hear. I'm not alone in this fight, nor are you. The path not to go down. May the Lord write that word on all our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek him together. Father in heaven, we come at the end of this Season in thy word and pray that the Holy Ghost, who is the real preacher to our hearts, would come. Drive it home. We want the seed to fall upon good ground. And our Father, we ask thee that for us all, that this little weekend of meetings might be little in many respects. Few people, perhaps. Few hymns. Oh, Lord. May it be a means of great things to be done in all of us. May we know, Father, what it is to to feel the power of thy word sanctifying us and drawing us out after thee. Thou knowest our hearts. We want to please thee. We don't want to displease thee. We don't want to go against thy word. We acknowledge, Lord, there's an awful battle that rages within continually. How we thank thee that thou hast shown us that Jesus Christ is the victor. Teach us, Lord, how we are to fight in the coming meetings ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.